Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. My name is Kave. This is a humor adjacent medical podcast or a medical adjacent humorous podcast. I don't even remember anymore and I, I don't, I'm not sure I care. My name is Kave and I am the host of it. Joining me today are two of my closest and oldest friends who you guys, if you're long time listeners, have heard at some point. Uh, and I'm very excited to have them back on for this uh, special episode. Let's first start with Dr. Wei Lu. Dr. Lu, uh, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. C- can I call you Wei? Um, oh, for now, yes. Okay. Uh, Wei, how, can you tell people what you do and how we know each other? Uh, so I am a radiologist. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and a diagnostic radiologist, not an interventional radiologist. Um, Do you think people will know the difference? People out there care. Well, I, I, I don't want to claim things that I'm not. So, like when people get super excited about like an interventional procedure they had done, and they're like, "Oh, you're like that guy that does that," and I, and I want to be like, "No, that that's not me. I don't have yeah. those skills." Yeah, yeah, that's a bummer. And and how do we know each other? Um, through internship, uh, you were the guy who would call me up in the middle of the night, uh, and pretend to be a nurse or a, a doctor, mm-hmm. uh, frantic mm-hmm. with, mm-hmm. Uh, patients that naming off patients that I was supposedly covering, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. that were imaginary patients. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'd be flipping through my list of patients <laughs> in a frantic panic. Oh, oh we had fun. Oh, we had fun. Yes. By the, the time 80% of my internship was done is when I actually finally figured out like what your voice sounds like. You, you know, I would still be doing that to, <laughs> to this day if it wasn't so easy to know like what numbers you were, you were seeing when I called. Um, and I'm still tempted to do it when you're on call. <laughs> I don't I don't anymore. Uh, I, I will say there's been a few situations where, where uh, someone has called and I thought it was you playing a joke on me. And I'd be like, okay, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah, sure. Okay, yeah, yeah. And then and then I realized, oh, 
Oh, this is uh, real. That, this is real. And like, I just kind of ignored everything that person had said about the patient that I was supposed to be taking care of. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, we had a good system there. And so everything always worked out. Um, and also joining us is uh, someone that you've heard on the show before. Um, and you hear me talking about him on the show, pretty much every show, I thank him. Uh, Nadim, Nadim, thank you so much for, for joining us. Yeah, I've been trying to be, get on the show for a long time, but uh, I guess finally you let me on. Yeah, that's not true. Um, I asked the guy pretty much every episode. I'm like, hey, do you want to come on? And he's like, no. I'm like, hey, did you listen to the episode? No. And I'm like, finally, I asked him, what would it take for me to get you to come on to the show? And he said, mm, get a basketball player. So today we have a basketball player. We have Rick Barry, NBA legend, joining us. He is a, a Hall of Famer. He won with the uh, championship with the Warriors in 1975. He's got a crazy, if you like, look up his like records and what he's done. It's amazing. But before we get to him, <clears throat> Nadim, tell people what you do. I am a producer for various podcasts, na namely the House of Pod. <laughs> 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 and, and you do other things, right? You do work outside of the show, I assume. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a paying you. I am a software engineer. Yeah. All right. Um, and I won't really understand what that means, but uh, you, uh, you and I met in college, correct? Yeah, we met. Uh, we lived in the same dorm freshman year, so we've known each other like 20x years. I don't, I don't know the exact number, but yeah, it's been a long time. Disturbing amount of years. And there's one other thing that ties us all together. We all play music together. Yeah, the Resurrection Man. That's right. The music you hear on the show, that's all us. And um, you and I started playing back in college. And then uh, Wade joined us uh, later uh, after we met him during my, my internship. Interesting story about, about that. Uh -huh. You know, I well, didn't play, I didn't play any instrument when we met. I don't, do you remember that? And you jokingly said, you know, I'm playing in a band. Uh, we could use a bass player. You should learn to play bass. And I, <laughs> and I then over remember. the summer, over the summer after freshman year, I took bass lessons and learned to play. I came back sophomore year and said, "Hey, Kave, I can play bass now." And you didn't. <laughs> and then the rest is history. That's actually that's hundred wow, percent true. I didn't even know that. That's pretty amazing. No, it was yeah. like at the end of our first year, we lived in the dorms together, and we were all like going home for like summer break. And I was like, "Hey, man, why don't you learn to play bass?" Like I knew some of the people in his family played music. I was like, "You should play some bass, and you can be our bassist." And then um, this was before like you know everyone was on Facebook and Twitter, and you'd see what people were doing. So I had no idea what he was up to. We didn't actually even talk. I don't think once until the start of the next school year, you came back and you had a base and you're like, okay, so do we get started now? And I was like, <laughs> oh shit, <laughs> he did it. <laughs> that's, that's actually kind of what happened with Wade too. When you, when you were gone, you moved to Dallas for a little bit. We asked Wade to come in and play bass because I was like, I saw Wade play, you know, rock band. And he was like, if you can do that, you can play bass. So here's a bass. And then um, when you came back, we we're like, all right, we, we liked Wade so much. We have to keep him in the fold. What, what do we do? And then, in what is probably one of the most racist things I've ever done, I said, wait, <laughs> you play the keyboards, don't you? Having no knowledge that he plays the keyboards. And he was like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, like, cool. It's, it's one of two things. You either play the violin or the keyboard. That's, yeah. <laughs> and, and we, and, we can't do violin because that just that doesn't look right in our band. 
but yeah yeah but keyboard sure and he played it and not only does he play it or did he play it he's like a, a virtuoso level uh musician and he's like actually quite brilliant yeah, yeah he leveled that, up. that's actually not true that that's absolutely <laughs> true we definitely leveled up when he joined as a keyboard player we went from like one to two or something like that i, yeah. I think we just got louder <laughs> <laughs> anyways you guys know me really well um and i'm glad you're here for this episode because we all along with music and playing video games was that was a big part of why we played music was so we could like take breaks and play video games all together but the other thing we've we've always enjoyed together is basketball you know i'm a warriors fan way is also grew up in the bay area so he's a warriors fan we've been warriors fans our whole lives i did flirt a little bit with the sacramento kings which is your nadim they had yeah. a, they had a, they had a good run of things for a while back in the uh, early 2000s right i think when you were in med school at davis i took you to a playoff game if i remember right when the it kings was, were actually good oh man they were so the good and for those of you guys who don't know, there was this period of time in the early 2000s, like 2003, 2004, when the, when the Kings were an amazing basketball team. They were so great to watch. They were so fun. They were passing the ball. They're moving like kind of concept that you see now with like the Warriors made popular. They were kind of already doing that. So much fun to watch. And then they, I still haven't processed this emotionally, were so robbed in the, those playoff games against the Lakers. I think there's very little doubt in people's minds that that was bad officiating and they got ripped off in that one to the point where like Ralph Nader tried to get like an inquest into seeing what happened with, with those games. 2002 uh, conference Western conference championships against the Lakers. Yeah. Seared into my mind. All right. Here's another thing. Um, Let me ask you guys this. I've known you guys for a long time. Um, You know me as well as anybody at this point. And you sometimes listen to the show, Nadim, because you have to and wait, because sometimes, you know, there's someone on here you want to hear, but, but you hear me on the show and um, I've been doing it now for a couple of years. Let me ask you this before, like the people who don't know me that well in real life who listen to the show. Do you think this is a real accurate depiction of me? Be honest. Am I, is this me or am I putting on a, affectation or is this just a part of me what's 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 real what's not what, what would you guys say i think it's real i mean that that's actually one of the reasons i like listening to it because it feels like you're you know you and i are just hanging out like we do that's what it sounds like to me every time i listen when- i would say this is the the angriest you that i know no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I no. Just like the dean said, this is. I mean, this is this. I would. I, I wouldn't be listening to it if, if, if you were. It would. It would be very hard to listen to if you were putting on an act. You guys never listen to it, and you're like, hmm. He he's not saying what he really thinks there. No, because I there's been situations where, I, I've been like, oh, I wouldn't have said that, <laughs> and. and, and but I know in real life, you would have said that if you were just around friends. Yeah, exactly. I, I, same thing. You're like, oh, I'm surprised he says the dumb shit he says. Well, there have no, been a couple just... of times where I was like, you know, I'm listening to the episode. I'm like, Kaveh, are you sure you don't want to cut that part out? <laughs> and you're like, that's you. And I'm like, okay, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I probably could make myself look a lot better. Um, that's interesting. 
do you have any stories that you think might show a different side of me um, that our listeners might be entertained by? Um, good. It can be embarrassing. I know you guys have those. Whatever the most embarrassing story you can think of, I'm fine. Or a story that you think might show me in a slightly different light than than what people may have heard on the show. I, I well, I being part of the band. One of the most entertaining things for me is watching your having a front row seat to the interactions you have with the audience. <laughs> that I find that very entertaining and i think that does show a different side of you um where you know with the podcast you're you're in, essentially interacting like one or one-on-one or one-on-two or whatever but but when you're performing in front of a, a live audience it, that it's kind of a different dynamic it seems like every time you did that though your uh your shirt would become more unbuttoned as the night went went on <laughs> you know it's, it's totally true i was talking to um prop who's a uh, a rapper or an mc as i should say and yeah he was he was talking about whether or not he classifies himself as a musician and i thought you know what i don't feel like i'm a musician but i do feel like i when we played music i was an entertainer or a performer really an entertainer is probably the better word for it like if i had more confidence in my ability to play and sing then i probably would have just done that but because I was like, I really want to make sure these people leave with like a good show. Like we did a lot of crowd work. I feel like I had to like give them something. I'm like, all right, with the music, I'm not, I'm not giving them that much with the music. I got to like make up for it with other forms of entertainment, you know? I feel like that's what differentiated us from a lot of the bands we played with was your presence, you know, doing that crowd work. It was fun, right? God, yeah. I can't wait till we can do that again. Are we going to do that again? Are we done playing? Are we, are we over it? Are we too old now to, to, to rock and roll? Oh, are we done? I'm down. Once this COVID thing is over, well, that's the question. What about you, Way? Are you, yeah, are you see, out? I mean, yeah, no, I'm, I'm down. Um, especially uh, if we can get some of these House of Pod fans to come out and um, you know watch us play, I think that would be hugely entertaining. That would be fun. That'd be interesting to see that that those crowds that those worlds collide. What about you, Nadim? Do you have a, a story? And Aaron, you, uh, you have, you have them. Come on, you, you go ahead. Probably know the story that I'm about to say, but so this one goes way back to our freshman year, and I, I think it was like at the end of the year, everyone had just finished finals, so everyone was really in a good mood. We hadn't left to go home yet. I know which story this is the worst. <laughs> so, you know, we're hanging out in the dorm, and I don't know for whatever reason you, you started to like jump up and down and then start to say i'm big i'm bouncy and like you started like puffing up your your chest i started bouncing up around and for whatever reason you bounced it was either into the bathroom or someone else's room but you bounced into the door frame like your head hit the door frame <laughs> now kave is a tall guy so you don't yeah. have to jump that high to hit the door frame and oh my god i don't think i saw that much blood in my life and <laughs> I, I don't think Kave was very amused when that happened. I, I think that's probably the most pissed off or most sad I'd ever seen him in my life was when that happened. And we had to take him to the ER and you, you came back with like a big wrap <laughs> on your head. I think I have a picture of that somewhere. I'll have to see if I have it. God, no. <laughs> it was the dumbest thing I've ever done. 
It was the dumbest. <laughs> and, and I can't, I can't even describe it in any way more than that. That makes it make sense. It was just like, we were being really stupid and really goofy. And everyone was being like wacky, but like, I, I was doing this like weird, like character, this guy bouncing down the halls. Um, kinetically, it looked pretty interesting, I think, until I smashed my head into the door frame. <laughs> but you got to remember, I mean, we're 18, like in college, like the last year or last day of freshman year. It's like, we're not, we're young. We're immature. Yeah. I mean, it's normal in, in the dorms to act that way. <laughs> yeah, and you're, you're hyped for the first, first year to be over. The worst way to end like the year. Oh my God, what a dumb, dumb thing. I t- um. Well, that's a good one. Way you don't have anything like that. I don't think I've done anything quite that embarrassing. No, I think you. I'm assuming you calmed down quite a bit after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that calmed me down. That calmed me down a lot. <laughs> oh, okay. Anyways, all right. So, uh, shall we get to our guest? Yeah, let's do it. I'm excited. Sure. This guy that we're going to interview is an absolute legend. Uh, he's a legend amongst Warriors and Warriors fans, but in the NBA beyond that as well. Um, Apologize if you are not a big NBA or basketball or sports fan, but maybe you at least still appreciate the enthusiasm we have for talking to a legend. So stick around and hopefully you have a little better sense of some of the close HOP family members here, Nadim and Way, and uh, maybe through them and through their stories, maybe a little bit better uh, sense of who I am as well. Before we get started, as always, I want to thank Nadim for help with production. Thank you, Nadim. Now that you're here, I can actually thank you to your face. Thank you. Um, also want to thank Lawrence Sherman, who is a friend on Twitter that helped arrange this guest. Uh, thanks, Lawrence. I appreciate it. Uh, and also want to thank Kevin Pelton. He is an ESPN writer um, who helped get me some information, a little background information on injuries in sports and, uh, and the rates of injuries, the numbers of injuries in the NBA. Uh, over the last 17 years so stay tuned you're about to hear some music in fact you're probably hearing it right now as we speak it's slowly building right here it's slowly building it's, it's from us we'll be right back And welcome back. Today, we have a really special guest, one I am really excited for. I mean, we've had world expert physicians on the show. We've had politicians, actors, comedians, but probably nobody have I been more excited for than Mr. Rick Barry, former NBA and ABA player, an NBA champion in 1975 with my beloved Golden State Warriors, a Hall of Fame player named recently one of the 75 greatest players in NBA history. Mr. Barry, thank you so much for joining us. Please call me Rick, not Mr. Barry. So, uh, yeah. So the thing is, is that I'm actually more proud of the fact that I actually was one of the top 50 players, the top 75 anniversary team. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. figuring the top 50. I was pretty confident that I'd make the top 75. Yeah, that's that's absolutely correct. That's how I should have said it. Also, you're a pickleball champion too, I believe, right? Yeah, I've won uh, won two U.S. Open the golds. I won two n- national championship golds in the different my age and uh, mixed doubles and men's doubles, and I won two golds in uh, men's doubles in the world senior games. Wow, that's pretty great. Uh, how do you rank that compared to everything you've accomplished in the NBA? 
Well, the NBA was obviously the ultimate stuff. I mean, you're talking about super professional. These are just a bunch of old farts out there playing who could still get out of the court. But I'm pretty good player, getting better all the time. I, I love the competition, and that's what I miss most about retiring is the competition. Uh, I love the game of basketball, but I just love to compete in anything. And so I had long driving in golf that I did for a while and won world championships in that. But then they cut the old farts out, which was not very nice of them that so i had no more and my wife said honey you gotta try pickleball so i got into it i've been doing it now for four years and i've attained my goal of winning some national championships and also got a couple of world ones in there so uh, that's kind of cool but I, I love that i just love the competition um and my wife the other day honey we're gonna go do this and uh, she's, but it's just social i said honey you've been with me 35 years <laughs> it comes to competition okay i go i play to win okay when anything that's I'm playing to win. I'll show up to go ahead and have a good I want to have a good time. We can sit down and talk. We don't do something that's competitive, especially I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. I guess that checks out with being like a champion. <laughs> so um you know, speaking of uh being a champion, uh and the NBA, you know, we've been watching the NBA our whole lives. The three of us here, we're all big fans. You know, Way and I in particular have been Warrior fans pretty much our whole lives. And um, you know, one thing I've noticed as we've been watching basketball over the years is that it feels like the rate of injuries and the severity of some of these injuries has gone up over time. And, you know, I tried to look into it and see if I could find any data on this. I couldn't find that much. There is an ESPN writer, Kevin Pelton, who shared some information with me, and he has been following the uh, number of injuries. And it certainly does seem like it has increased over time since at least... 2009 when he started recording them um but you know i don't have hard data uh from any other source is it from your impression as well that the number of injuries is also going up over time uh well i think maybe what it is is because the athletes the training is so sophisticated they're getting bigger stronger quicker jump higher i mean so you get higher in the air there's more you know more susceptibility to perhaps coming down the wrong way and getting injured the strength of the players is much greater um, so yeah, I, I know the one big thing where it is because my wife ran USA basketball for women. She was in charge of women's basketball for the United States for like 12 years is that it's interesting. The incidence of, um, of ligament damage and stuff as far as the cruciate and things of that nature and is more prevalent in women, I guess, because of their body and the way that they're built and everything. So that's, that's a bigger mm -hmm. issue is for men, which I, I didn't have, I had no idea that that was the case. But I think it has to do with with uh, them just being bigger, stronger, faster. And so the more more pounding you're putting on there, the more uh, resistance there when you're stopping going much faster and stopping that body weight and you're strong. I mean, I just it's going to take its toll on you. And there's no question about it. So um, I, I just wish that I didn't have to go through and get my knee cut open to have a stupid cartilage injury, which basically normally now in seven, 10 days, guys are back from cartilage injuries playing again. And I was out for, you know, months and, you know, this big rehab situation. You get the big scars on you and have arthritic knee. And I, I played most of my career with a knee that was maybe about 75 to 80% of what it should have been. Yeah. That actually touches on something that I find really interesting is that like, um, you know, Nowadays, there's so much scientific uh, research and, and data behind um, what goes into players training. There's so much of a support system like, you know, Steph Curry, who plays for the Warriors. Now he has got like a specialist for every other ligament in his ankle. You know, there's dietitians, there's trainers using all kinds of these new techniques. Like, 
back when you were playing? What kind of support system uh, did you guys have? You know what a goose egg is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing, Kabe, nothing at all. Uh, and some people say to me, I just got to talk about this on the documentary. They probably won't put it in there. I said, people said, well, you know, Rick, you, your guys back in your day, you wouldn't be able to play with these guys today. I said, are you out of your freaking mind? So do you understand how much better we would be? I know that if I had all of this, I didn't have a strength coach and agility coach, a dietitian, all the other stuff they have. I didn't have special stuff to drink before we worked out, after we worked out. I mean, it's unbelievable. We used, we ate the wrong things in pregame meals. We didn't carbo load. We did nothing. We had the worst traveling schedule, doing commercial stuff, getting up with no sleep. It was unbelievable. So I'd be faster, stronger, quicker, more endurance, jump higher. It'd be crazy how much better I would be because of the sophistication that has taken place in sports because it's all sports specific stuff with technologies that didn't exist in my day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so um, along those lines, what is your feeling about uh, load management that's going on these days where, you know, patient, uh, a lot of the sit out? Ridiculous. You know why? Because they have all this money invested in these guys. They're trying to go ahead and keep them, they think, as healthy as possible. Hey, when I played, I wanted to play. I hated when we were blowing somebody out because that means I wouldn't get to play as much. I mean <laughs> – it's a 48 minute game. I mean, and most of the guys play 36, you know, at the, usually at the most, very few guys play more than 36 minutes a game. That's three quarters of a game. So I was saying, well, maybe they should only get three quarters of their salary. They're only playing three. <laughs> I don't think that's <laughs> they're trying to save these guys because of the money invested in them. And they're trying not to break them down. And, you know, I can understand that, but I mean, personally for me, I always wanted to be on the court and you know, I learned I was tired. And the game was tough. I go in, get a rebound, throw it up to court, and I just stay back. Because I'm not, by doing that, I'd stay back on defense and protect the basket, and I get a rest. I mean, so you learn how to utilize your time and your work, and that way you can play more minutes and not have it impact you in a negative way. You know, though, when I like see players like uh, Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson, like two of the most elite athletes um, in the game, and after an 82 game season, they're in the postseason playing more games and their bodies break down and they're succumbing to injuries. Then, you know, I really start to question if if anybody can handle that kind of workload for that long. Just the the games and the postseason and so many games outside of the of what they have to play for a regular season. Is there any way that the season could potentially be shortened? Uh, is that just a, a non-starter? Is there just too much business revenue that would be lost in those situations? Uh, it's probably a non-starter. I mean, they got to get the revenues coming in, but they, they, they make their main revenues from television revenues and from advertising and things of that nature. But I, I'm just not a big believer in that because, I, I mean, I wanted to play. I don't think yeah. the fact a lot broke me down. I got done because a guy came up with that stupid play on me and caught me in the air and twisted my damn ankle and my knee screwed it up um you know i i just i don't believe in that i mean i know one season in the aba i think i averaged 47 minutes a game because i i played all i'm a coach played me well chamberlain i mean he didn't life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. 
They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hardly have any injuries at all when he was playing. And uh, and he, he averaged over 48 minutes a game in one season because he played every minute, every game in overtimes and never okay. found didn't have major injuries. And I think a lot has to do with your, just your own physical makeup as to whether you might be more susceptible to something as something else. And just, you know, pure luck, you know, that you don't have something happen in a crazy way or come off somebody's foot. And so a lot of it has to do with luck. So um, I'm not, not a big, I, I'd say I, to me, I wanted to play and I play as much as the coach would allow me to play. That's their decision to make. Um, I, I can understand why when you have that much money invested in these players, you certainly want to try to maximize their performance and, and keep them as healthy as possible. So I, I don't blame them for doing it. I just, I'm not a big fan of it myself because I know I would be wanting to play. I went, okay, well, you know, and some guy, well, it's a you know, day off here and blah, blah, blah. Well, what the hell? I don't want a day off. I want to play. Give me a day off of practice. <laughs> day off of playing. What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of like you know performance uh is much better these days is there any performance enhancing drugs or anything in the nba or you know is that oh. a part of it or is it uh just the no, science not to have anything like that to be able to do something for drug things i don't i don't believe in that trying to you know having drugs to help your performance no that's crazy you should be able to go out there and do it naturally and utilize as long as you're doing natural things. I mean, I do believe that they should allow CBD. I mean, I'm a big believer. I'm with a Medicinaleaf as a company I'm with right now that, you know, your people who are listening and if they want to check it out, they can go to medicinaleaf.com, put 24 in the code. You get a great discount, great product. It's very strength. And, and the people, when they hear CBD, I thought we're a cannabinoid company because as you probably know, you guys are in the medical world. I mean, there's over 130 cannabinoids in the cannabis, cannabis plant. Everybody says CBD. Well, CBD is one of a hundred something different cannabinoids and they're doing research all the time, isolating the different cannabinoids and then testing and seeing what they can do with them. And they're finding more and more things that it does for people. I mean, as you know, it's great for aut autism and it helps cut back on, on people getting uh, seizures. It's great for, some, for people for sleeping. It's great for anti-inflammatory things. There's just a lot of wonderful things about the uh, the cannabinoids that are existing and they're all natural stuff. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping that they you know, start to allow that instead of giving somebody opioids for pain and other things. I mean, let's try some natural things first. Yeah, we always are open-minded to other forms of pain relief here. And, you know, you, you talked about your knee injury uh, and, you know, we, we also mentioned that the players are getting bigger and stronger and, and, and faster. And we talked about the injuries from them being in the air and landing. Um, you know, I, I noticed that there's so many surgeries that happen so commonplace in the NBA. Now it, it's hard to see players last more than five to 10 years without having to go through some surgery at some point, it feels like. And I, I recently got into an argument with some of my friends who are 
uh, NFL football fans. And it was sort of about like which players are the best athletes. And, and I know it's hard to gauge, you know, who's tougher because, you know, there's different sports, there's different forms of contact. And, and obviously the NFL guys are super tough for what they do. And there's injuries constantly happening there. There have been rule changes there to, to help minimize that. Uh, but still plenty of injuries as we just saw with the Super Bowl. But it certainly feels like basketball players don't get the credit I feel they deserve for the injuries they uh, encounter and the all the surgical stuff they have to go through. And the fouls that really drive me crazy are the ones when the player is in the air and then they get hit or they get pulled down. The most recent uh, example of this, and listeners, if you want to check it out, you can just Google it. There's a player on the Milwaukee Bucks named Grayson Allen. And he pulled down a player on the Bulls by the name of Alex Caruso while he was in the air. Alex Caruso was like doing a, a layup and he, he pulled him down in, I thought, it, a really dangerous fashion. Um, Caruso ended up falling and breaking his wrist. In, in he, I guess he's lucky in that it's probably hopefully not a uh, career-ending injury, maybe a season-ending one. But it, it could have been. And, and he only got like one game suspension, I think, for that. And, and it didn't seem appropriate to me. Can you speak about whether or not you feel that was an appropriate amount of time he was suspended or about these injuries in general? I didn't see it. Uh, but all I can say is that based upon the severity of it, that they, they basically have flavor one, flavor two, whatever it is. I mean, so obviously for a suspension, it had to be a serious one. I really believe they should what they should do, and I think they do this in hockey, if I'm not mistaken, but what they should do is that if a guy makes a flagrant play on a player and he hurts him and he's out, that the other player should be suspended for as long as that other player is out. That makes you sense have, to me. That makes total oh, sense. Bad reputation, even from college days, and he's done some really crappy things. And so I didn't see it, so I'm, I can't make a, a I can't give you my assessment of it because I haven't seen it. And it's always fair. I should, if I looked at it, then I could be able to say, Hey, that was really baloney, but it obviously had to be something of severity because they did suspend the one and maybe it was worth more. If I, if I had a chance to look at it, I would tell you and, and, and say whether or not it should be that, but I think it should be a very severe penalty. This is your livelihood. There is no possible way that you should allow another one player to do something that is, a flagrant thing that causes injury to another player, he should pay a severe penalty for that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I know it was a long time ago, but you know, it was my understanding that when basketball was first invented, it was invented as a non-contact sport. I mean, I know that's... That's a joke. I mean, th there's contact going on. There's going to be there. They're going to be bumping. It's not a sport where hitting the other opponent is part of the rules. That's breaking the rules. And so I tell people, I learned that a very, because I was a skinny kid growing up and whatever, I learned at a very early age that if one of the rules of the game allowed the opponent to hit the other player's opponent, I wasn't playing that sport. Yeah, smart move. As a doctor, I, I approve. Uh, was there ever a player in your time where like every time you saw that person come on the court, you're like, oh no, here, here it comes. Yeah. Guys there that you'd never want to turn your head on them. You'd never know they were kind of crazy and you know, they might do some stupid things out there. So you always had to try to keep an eye out for them. I don't think there was anybody that I knew that maliciously was going out there to try to hurt you, but they would go out there to try and play extremely physical and do stupid things that could hurt you. <laughs> Players out there like that, you know. I'll, I'll mention one of them, but two of them, both of them are dead. <laughs> Unfortunately, one of them died in an airplane crash. The other one died. He became a mercenary. He got killed over in, in Africa. 
who was that? <laughs> wow. That's... Played in the ABA, played for the Pittsburgh Pipers, John Brisker. That is wild. That's, oh, sorry. Wait, go ahead. You had a question. Well, uh, yeah. So uh, you're famous for the underhand uh, free throw. Um, can you explain? Well, first off, uh, how how did that ever? I know that your dad was a coach, and how, was that part of how it came up that that was the way you got into um, do, doing free throws that way? Yeah, but my father that back in those days, people shot two hand set shots, and they shot two hands underhand, and my father shot a two hand underhand, and he felt that I would be a better free throw shooter. I was only like a mid seventy shooter, so I think he could be better. And uh, you know, thank God. Relentless and wanting to do it. I didn't want to do it at all. And mainly the same reason, because back then, I mean, the girl shot that way. I said, hell, I'm not, I, that's ridiculous that I'll get made fun of. And I remember the words like they were yesterday, son, they can't fun of you if you're making them. And that's exactly what the case was. And I remember the first game made the switch in high school. Um, and I still don't know if it was before my junior or senior year, but I was playing game on the road. Scotch Plains, New Jersey. I remember exactly that was the case. And I heard a guy from the stand during the game. He, hey, Barry, you big sissy shooting like that. And I heard crystal clear as you could hear the guy next to him. What are you making fun of him for? He doesn't miss. <laughs> I was never satisfied. And I actually, I wish I had been smart enough early in my career when I was shooting over 10 free throws a game. Uh, I made the switch over and changed the technique a little bit and took the wrist out of the shot. And my last six years, and I'm proud of this, and I can brag about it because it's the only part of the game of basketball you can be selfish and help your team. Uh, I shot over 90, 92%. My last two years, I shot over 94%. Oh, those are amazing numbers. Were you ever able to convince any of your teammates or any other players to, to do it, to try it? I got George Johnson, one of my teammates, asked me to do it. He never got it down totally correct, but he also made it up to 80%. And the only other person I, I worked with one NBA guy who never had the guts to do it when he went back. I had him shooting over 80% and he didn't do it when he went back to his team. There's been talk about uh, Steph Curry's recent shooting slump. Um, have you ever had uh, gone through that yourself and how did you get, get out of it? Everybody goes through it. Offense is a roller coaster ride. You're never staying up at a high level. Dude. You're going to be up and down and up and down. It just happens. I mean, it's just part of the game. <laughs> you bring up Steph Curry, I always laugh and say, oh, Steph's in shooting some. Yeah, hey, most players like to have his percentage during his slump. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's very true. So Everything is kind of relative. I mean, a shooting slump for Steph Curry, some other guy would be thrilled to death to have shooting like that, you know, because he's at such a high rate of efficiency. But yeah, you go through those stretches and, and that, that happens. And then you got to figure it out. Maybe one little minor thing. I remember one time I was having some problems and I asked Jeff Mullins, my teammate, who was a really great shooter. I said, Jeff, please watch my shot. You know, what am I, I there's something that's happening. And I'm not sure what it is. And sure enough, he watched it. He says, Rick, what's happening. He says, is that the ball's coming off your fingertips on your jump shot as your body is starting to come down. So I have movement, the ideal jump shot, the ball should be coming off your fingertips when you're at that point at your jump, when you're not going up anymore, but you haven't started to come down and the ball's coming off your fingertips. Therefore, you eliminate an up and down motion. And so sure enough, that was it. And it helped me and I, and I got out of it. But that happens. I mean, the same thing that happens with teams. There's very few teams in the history of the league that have ever gone through an entire NBA season without having a down period where they struggle for, you know, seven, 10 days, 14 days, whatever it may be. And they have a tough stretch. And that usually happens. Uh, there's very few teams that uh, haven't avoided that. So do you think it's it, partially mental as well? Like once you shoot one bad shot and then the next no, one becomes. 
that's individual. It could be mental. I mean, that's up to the person who's doing that. I mean, it could be a mental thing, but generally speaking, it's a mechanical thing. And they're doing something, their elbows out a little bit, like you say, releasing it on the way down, their hands off to a little bit to the side of the ball where it shouldn't be. It's usually something of a technical nature that could be corrected if someone is astute enough to be able to evaluate the shot and find what it is that they're doing incorrectly. If it's mental, it becomes a problem. I'm I'm curious to know who you think the best shooters in NBA history are. I mean, to me, that's one of my favorite things about the game is the beauty of the shot and like watching Steph Curry shoot is is one of the prettiest things that you can see in any sport or art form. It's just like he has the ball in his hands and the ball wants to go into the hoop and all he has to do is release it from his hands, just let go of it and it seems to want to go in. It's so effortless the way he does it. Um I love the I love watching it happen. Who who's like that for you? There's there's there's, there's certain shooting form that works. I mean, there are fundamentals. There's five critical fundamentals to shooting, and if you work on those and practice them enough, you can get to be a really good shooter. I mean, there's guys the guys who set the Guinness record for like free throws made and things of that nature are, are professional players. These are guys that went out, practiced the fundamentals, and got them to the point where they became basically almost robotic by it. So. Um, yeah, Steph has great shooting form. LeBron James have great shooting form. He was horrible at the start of his career. Uh, he's still not a great shooter, but he's better because I made the big stink about it, and he started to get his damn elbow in, and he finally became a better shooter. I think God's equalizer because God forbid if he was a he was an eighty something or more percent or ninety percent free throw shooter, and he also was a great three point shooter, they would have to outlaw him. He would have been too good. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah. And, you know, Jerry West, a great shooter. I mean, there's been a lot of you know great shooters that have been out there in, you know, over the years. I mean, my son's, I mean, my son, Brent was a great three point shooter. I mean, really yeah. good. He shot, in the, you know, shot up in the forties. I sent John shot up in the forties. If you're shooting 40% or better from three point range, that's, that's a hell of an accomplishment. That's outstanding shooting. Because 33% in threes is equivalent to 50 from twos. So just, you know, right. figure 48% you're shooting 60 so I mean that's crazy shooting and especially from that distance so I mean that's a rarefied air that you have over there so anybody you see anybody shooting 40% or more I mean hats off to them that's awesome Clay Thompson you know they have some guys that can really do it but the difference is some of the guys that were really outstanding three-point shooters and shoot the high percentage are shooters but you know Steph and Clay there's and, and Kate they're scorers and shooters that's impossible right. You can like, I hear all these guys talking about all the time. Oh, he's a lockdown defender. Well, you know, there's no such thing as a lockdown defender on a score. You can lock down a shooter, but you can't lock down a score. You have too many ways to beat you. I mean, just think about it. You're on defense, right? Okay. I'm offense. You have to try to figure a way to stop me. If I'm really good at what I do, you can't stop me. You might make me work a little harder, but you're never going to stop me. You're never going to shut me down. Yeah. You, you mentioned your sons, uh, Scooter, John, Brent, and Drew, they were all professional basketball players too, correct? All five, all five of my boys got Division One college scholarships. All five have been professional players. Three of them in the NBA. My son Kenyon's in the G League. He should be in the NBA. That's a whole other story. And my son, Scooter, my number one son, Bird and Mikhail both told me, he said, Rick, your son should have made our team. He was better than our number one draft pick but they had 13 no-cut contracts and only 12 roster spots. And so he went overseas and he played till he was 40 years old. Well, that's, you know, like a level of success that, you know, most people will never, ever come close to a level of success that all, you know, your your sons had playing the, the sport. Um, 
you know, and I, and I get a lot of questions from people asking how they can get their kids into medicine um, and how uh, people can get their kids to follow in their footsteps in medicine. And that's an interesting question to me. How, how did you do it? I don't care what your profession is, what you do. And I tell all these people that come up and ask me, I said, here's what you do. Expose your children to as many different things as possible in the sporting world. The same thing with sports. Let them try all different kinds of sports and then let them decide which one they like the most and whatever it is, which one. And, and when they do want to get into a sport, get them the fundamentals, you know, somebody to teach them the fundamentals of whatever that sport is. It's the same thing in your world, in the professional world, you know, in medicine, whatever. You must know the fundamental principles and concepts of whatever you're trying to become proficient at. That's the foundation you can build on. Then find out which one they really seem to gravitate to that they like, and then help them with that and encourage them and let them make the decision. Don't try to live your life vicariously through what your kids are doing. Want to be a basketball player. You know, if your kid shows that he's better at playing lacrosse, then let him play lacrosse. I mean, you know, don't try to push it down their throats. I expose my boys to all of that stuff. They expressed an interest in it. In fact, if anything, I almost tried to discourage them. Some I said, look, just understand this. I remember it was John. I said, if you're going to decide to play basketball, it is going to be very difficult for you because everyone's going to compare you to me. Just be prepared for that. I said, you have to forget that and just be your own person and try to be as good as you can be and not worry about whether you're as good as your father. Okay. Just go and play and have fun. And John said to me, he says, Paul, I'm not worried about that. Dad. I said, great. He said, yeah, I'm going to be better than you are anyway. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's definitely some similarities there, you know, in the world of medicine, like the sons and daughters of, of doctors or the sons and daughters of immigrant families that want to push their kids into the field of medicine, finding that, that balance, you know, of like pushing them and encouraging them enough to make them, to give them that, that hopefully internalize some drive, but not push them so hard that they hate you for it or that they hate whatever it is you're trying to get them into, you know, finding that balance. No, I mean, that's what I said. My father, I don't remember my father ever forcing me to do it. He just was there. He coached me when I was in elementary school. And my brother, he coached our our team that uh, was, you know, quite successful. I made the seventh and eighth grade grammar school team when I was in the fifth grade. And the um, thing is, is that he never forced it on me. And I never tried to force that on my kids at all. Like, I mean, if they didn't have an interest, okay, no problem. Fine. It's good. I did, however try to discourage all of them from playing football. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love football. I respect football uh, and the players and what they do, but I think it's a violent sport. The object, I mean, people are trying to hurt you in football. I'm sorry. They are. They're trying to knock you out of the game. And I, and you know, my skinny little kids all just like me, little runs. I mean, I wasn't successful in all four, all four of my younger boys all played at least one season of football. And I was so grateful when they got through it without really getting any serious injury. But, and my youngest son, Canyon, I was able to keep him out of it totally. And I was thrilled to that. Now he played flag football. He was unbelievable. Such a great athlete. And he's so quick and elusive. I mean, hell, when he got the ball, he'd run for a touchdown most of the time because he could evade everybody and he was fast and quick, but he didn't play. Thank God he didn't want to go and play, you know, tackle football. I just, Oh my God. No. Oh yeah. Plus the kids that are going to go do it. But I mean, just look at, you know, you guys know, I mean, look at the concussion situation that has happened with that. And 
that's a major issue. I mean, that's had an impact on your life forever. I mean, it's really a big issue. In fact, I'm involved with some people who are coming up with some really good stuff and protocols and some stuff for concussion stuff. So I'm kind of excited about that. But uh, yeah, I'm not a big I'm not a big fan of the physicality of the game. They try to get me to go out for it in college. I used to go out and run pass patterns with George Myra, who played with the 49ers when he came out of Miami. And, uh, you know, I mean, I had great hands. I'd catch everything. I mean, plus I was fast and quick. I mean, I'd get out there, get open, snag balls, run like hell. <laughs> the varsity coach came up, my coach came up to me in college. He says to me, he says, what the hell is this to hear that you're going out for football? I said, what? I said, <laughs> make a two-hand touch, I'll go out for football. <laughs> you know, and Emmy Dolphins tried to get me to go out for them. And I said, no, thank you. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I absolutely agree. Absolutely. You don't see a lot of sons and daughters of uh, doctors either playing tackle football like at, at the high school level or above or like, uh, you know, owning trampolines. I mean, this is, we just don't do it. No, I mean, there's a lot of things out there that people do that I think are extremely dangerous and not necessarily the smartest things in the world to do. But then again, if it has kid shows a real love and a, and a, and a passion and, and loves it and wants to try to do it, then you should support them. I mean, seriously, I don't think you should deny them the opportunity. Maybe they could be really, really good. And, you know, I know you're out, you're trying to protect them at all. But the thing is, is you also could be hurting them by denying them an opportunity to do something that they have a passion for, because I think you have to have a passion in life. And I try to tell young people when I talk to them all the time, I said, look, just think about this. I love basketball. I worked hard. I got the fundamentals. I learned how to do it. I played basketball and someone paid me to do what I love to do. That's not a job. That's not working for a living. Find something you have a passion for. Learn about it. Learn the fundamentals. Apply yourself to it. Get to be really good at it. And somebody will pay you to do what you love to do. And that's going to change your life because you won't work for a living. That's great advice. Yeah, that is. And uh, I think it's a good place to to close out the interview here. Um, Rick, please let us know and let our listeners know where they can follow you, where they can learn more about you and plug anything here that you want to plug, please. Medicine Leaf, if you're into cannabinoids and stuff, and want to look at that. Medicine Leaf, M-E-D-I-C-I-L-E-A-F.com. Put 24 in the code, get a great discount. I have some other wonderful, wonderful sleeves down there in the Bay Area. Guys do something, uh, Darren and Roy, called Go Sleeves. And you go to G-O-S-L-E-E-V-E-S.com. Great products for a knee sleeve that I wear all the time that I don't, you know, I, I wear it when I play pickleball all the time. It's just, they're just awesome. They got kinesio tape built into them. Tremendous quality product lasts a great time. Not really super expensive. Uh, put RB, small RB24 in the code for that. You get a nice discount as well, but check it out. They got stuff for your knees. They got stuff for your calves for that help with your Achilles. They're doing other things for uh, elbows as well. And then eventually hamstrings, but just an awesome product. So you can do that as well and get a nice discount for that. So uh, yeah, there's just a lot of things that I'm involved in now that are very exciting. And I have to work for a living because they forgot three zeros on my contract. So uh, <laughs> made 15,000 per year, not 15 million. And uh, if I was 30 day, I'd have a five year, 200 plus million dollar guaranteed contract, which I can't even possibly fathom that I would get paid that kind of money. I used to think I was like a pig and slop. I was so happy that I made $15,000. And I did get it. I did negotiate no, no agents and stuff. I got a $3,000 signing bonus. So I, I, boy, was I happy. Uh, (laughs) 
So anyway, yeah, those are a couple of things I'm involved with that uh, are really kind of cool things. I'm working on a bunch of other things, trying to help our veterans out. I have another company that's called Vijuvia Life Centers that's doing things and we're coming out with products and doing things for veterans to try to help them a lot. Another person is we're getting oh, former hotels and putting veterans into these hotels and starting their life over again. We have another thing in the medical field that I think is going to be great. It's way beyond Teladoc, a uh, guy who was uh, worked with uh, NASA did a lot of top secret stuff, created something. He just did it. He said, hey, you know, I did this because of my dad and communicating to be able to have your television. If you have a smart television set, you can have this thing. It's called the Cortex system. And um, you can do all kinds of things on it. And he's got what he calls the, uh, what is the one that they had on Star Trek? It's the tricorder, I guess it is. And, and you're going to be able to do stuff and get pressure, all kinds of stuff, talk to doctors. And it's very simple. You just push a button and there's on the screen and you can talk directly with someone. And for our veterans, it'll be great because they'll have them in each of the hotel rooms. And so if they're feeling suicidal, which hopefully, you know, a lot of them do, they can just push a button and there's somebody there to talk to them and help them get through those difficult times. And uh, I'm really, because I'm a big believer and supporter of the military because our country wouldn't be what it is today without them. Well, I'm sure they appreciate your support and we really appreciate you coming on to talk with us. It's amazing obviously to to speak to a legend and get your insight not only on you know the the sport of basketball but other things as well um so thank you so much for hanging out with us it was a real honor and a real privilege to to get you here yeah hopefully i'll never need either one of your services because i i gotta try to stay and i i've threatened my wife honey listen just be prepared because she's younger than i am i said i'm going to live to at least 100 because I have to wear you out so you won't be good for anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, guys. Take care. God bless. Thanks, Thanks a lot. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a physician or other qualified health care provider for your specific health care needs or concerns. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the opinions of our employees. Details in the podcast have been changed so that patient identification is not possible. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow-up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.